Hey everyone! We're proud to announce once again that our favorite product, Notion, sponsors this week's Techish. You hear us talk about the future of work all the time on this podcast, and we don't go a minute into that conversation without mentioning Notion. And let's give you the Techish breakdown. Notion is the one app you and your team can use for notes, docs, wikis, projects, and generally staying on the same page in these weird, weird times. We even use it ourselves here at Techish so much, in fact, that people thought we were sponsored by them. In the day, the real secret source is that you can use Notion for pretty much all of your core work functions and customize it to fit exactly the way your team works. So you'll get all the more done the way you want. We even use it to write and share our own show notes, organize live events, and run our partnership and sales. Honestly, we use it for about 20 different things at least. Imagine replacing 20 different tools that you use every day and probably pay for every month. So say goodbye to Google Docs and all those random tools folks are using and build the workflows you want in Notion together. You have to see how zen this app is. It proves that work can be beautiful. Just click the link in the show notes to sign up today. You'll see what work's going to look like in the future. Only you'll have it now. Learn more at Notion.so. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a brand new Techish. It's Ooh. one half of your hosting team here, Abadesi. And Michael Behane, the other part of the team. <laughs> Techish team. Yeah, let's get it cracking, man. I got a lot of stuff I want to talk about. So there's an uh, interesting story. I'd probably call it an interesting parable, actually, because it's got a few lessons for a lot of other inspired potential entrepreneurs. So a woman called Katrina Parrott, black woman based in Texas, she is now suing Apple. Um, she pitched Apple. I don't think she pitched it. I think she did a presentation in 2012 or 11 saying like yo let's like diversify the emoji icons at the time they just had the plain yellow ones so she had an idea about like let's get some black and brown ones and like let's kind of mix it up right six months later she invested two hundred thousand dollars of her own money big boy p big boy bread and built an app called iDiversicons, which is an iphone app that allowed you to kind of have your own uh, diverse emoji in terms of skin tones obviously now apple saw that and was like Mm -hmm. you know what we're just going to integrate it into our own system and bye bye you and all the money that you put into this app is going to go by the wayside but she's not taking it lying down she's like listen i'm going to sue you and i don't know if she has any chance of winning just because i don't know how you can copyright an idea per se but there is something yeah. to it where apple has done that consistently where they have essentially used the app store as a laboratory of experiments on other people's dime where you might build a feature you know remember mm-hmm. there used to be like a an app that you'd have to download to have a torch like have a really bright light now it's all part of the it's all integrated into the the os right so they changed it so you could increase the yeah brightness of the light so true we as the users were like yeah what do you do like that's amazing but at the same time there's an entrepreneur out there kind of scratching their head thinking damn that was my livelihood or that was one of my potential livelihoods what do you think like legally she probably doesn't have much of a shout i mean i would love to see her win just to even you know throw a little rock at a big dog like apple but morally like she's got she has she got legs to stand on like do you feel like it, it is unfair that big companies can just do Gosh. that and also what's the lesson for other it's completely unfair and i <laughs> what's the lesson it's one of those things that is so frustrating in that we almost have a defeatist attitude already once yeah. we hear about something like this yeah We're like oh gosh yeah okay there's no way she's gonna fight you know who wants to take on apple who wants to take on the big tech companies but I'd like to think that the events of the last year have actually changed the way we think about any efforts and, and initiatives that happen around the space of social justice and representation mm. and increasing equity. And I, I like to think that things are different now. Like I don't think I don't think the world's gonna be happy with Apple trying to sweep this under the rug, ignore what's happening, you know, in this conversation, in this lawsuit. I think it's one of those things that now has such a brand and PR aspect to it. 
that mm. they have to be super thoughtful about what they're going to do, don't you think? I agree, but I don't think they particularly care. And I think just in terms of like for other entrepreneurs, I mean, if someone had come to me with this idea, however many years ago, I would have told them that this is probably a slight risk that Apple might just integrate it. And not because I'm a genius, mm. but just because it's happened many times before. And what do we say in terms of like, because sometimes you'll see an opportunity, but if the opportunity relies so heavily on one platform and that platform has a history of kind of stealing ideas, like do you just tell the founder, like, just don't go to that area, try something else. Or do you tell them, pursue I mean, this? that's 200,000 so, USD. That's almost like quarter of a million dollars we're talking here. It's so much. And I think this is like so, so tricky. And I know VCs think this all the time, like, oh, what's going to stop? you know, an incumbent from just building that, cloning that and copying that. And it's so hard to create a moat if you are literally just a solo founder or a side hustler or any one of those things. And I think, you know, the way that I think about it from my entrepreneur journey, I'm very much a community person, community-based business. For me, the moat is our community because someone could replicate the service that I create, but no one could necessarily replicate that. And I think maybe it's a reminder for makers and and developers to like be really thoughtful about their brand and like create something so sticky and so weird, unusual, odd, unique, niche, loved that people will still find value in whatever you create, even if something you make has been cloned or something you make, yeah, evolves. I think that's the only way to do it because you know this is a problem you know to some degree that's been around forever. But I think what really stings in this case is that there's such a huge societal like societal change that's happened mm-hmm. in, in this particular case with regards to how we think about representation. Like we are now starting to understand that a lack of representation kills. Yeah. A lack of representation costs lives. And that representation isn't literally just about what we're doing IRL, how many black people on your team. It's also about the way we communicate, the way we use language, language oppresses, language kills. So I don't know, like it's tough. It's super, super tough. I think from a founder perspective, you can't totally eliminate that risk but you can be mindful about the things you invest in mm-hmm. to own your uniqueness and, and and keep customers sticky. But it's tough. I mean, I definitely want to watch and see what happens. Like Apple's the same company trying to like pull out all these programs to support black creators, black makers, black this, black that. Put that money in her. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, and then it sets, it sets the precedent that, you know, they're going to pay out for any entrepreneur who feels griped that they've stolen their app, basically, or that their app has been integrated into the OS. So they probably can't just, just being purely, you know, ruthless about it. But I do I think hope. Yeah. I was just going to say, I hope she has good lawyers and she can try to settle out of court and get something. I mean, I hope she's got money because it looks like she had enough money to invest in the app. So um, I hope she's got the funds to kind of chase this lawsuit. And I mean, the fact that she did the lawsuit, the article was in the Washington Post. We're now talking about it. So I hope there's some way that some kind of bread or money comes to her just through the publicity of the story and like people kind of, you know, give her some shine. So shout out to her. Hope her story, I hope it has a happy ending. So I saw a really fascinating thread on Clubhouse uh, and potentially why it will fail. So essentially, this is the the bearish case about Clubhouse's kind of future. I've Mm. seen people like Naval said that he thinks Clubhouse is going to be the biggest social media network in the world. Now, this thread is done by a dude called Sean Puri. I forgot how to say his surname. He's a host at another podcast and he's an exec at Twitch. So he knows a lot about basically making social media apps work. And I think he had a few failed apps himself. So he said that essentially the reason why, and it's a really hilarious thread. He takes you through what your life is like as the CEO of Clubhouse on a day by day. <laughs> yeah, you know? it was good. It's hilarious. Like I'll, t- I'll put it in the show notes. Everybody go read it. But I'm going to break down the kind of uh, actionable points that I thought were really fascinating. That the biggest problem that Clubhouse has is that mm-hmm. when you open up an app, you need to see something interesting in seven seconds. Or otherwise, you're going to bounce. Now, showing some somebody something interesting if you're 
working with Instagram or TikTok is not bad because you've got millions of pieces of content that you can choose from. The algorithm can pick basically. But showing something that's interesting times it's also live is a 200x problem. As in showing something interesting is a 2x hard problem. Showing something interesting times it's also happening right now is a 200x problem basically, right? And that's not something that's actually that easy to fix. Right. And then also you might join a, cl- a conversation in Clubhouse and like you've missed the first bang in 20 minutes and the rest of it is rubbish. That's also a problem. Like there might mm-hmm. be gold content happening. So then it's like, well... <laughs> Um, actually, you know, in the thread, he basically imagines what's happening in the boardroom. He's like, well, so actually, why don't we just let people record the podcast, the, the, the conversation, so then people can come in and check it out later and they can make it into a podcast. But then you lose the whole live experience, the whole magic of Clubhouse being live and unfiltered and the fact that nobody can kind of record what's happening. So that's a dead end, right? Then all of a sudden you think, okay, well, what's the other feature that Clubhouse has? It has the fact that people are just chilling. Sometimes in Clubhouse rooms, it's just a couple of friends, a couple of homies, and they're just doing their thing, talking shit, right? It's not content. It's not for the outside world. It's just people jamming. Number one, I'll add that obviously in a pandemic, mm. we're in a pandemic. So that's definitely helped that use case. After a pandemic, maybe that won't have as much uh, utilization. But the thing with that, with the whole chilling with friends model of growth is that it's very slow growth. Like it's not, that's not going to get you to kind of mm-hmm. the next level. And that's not going to make you the next, you know, hundred billion dollar company so i'll recommend everyone read the thread because it's a very interesting look at what can go wrong building a social media platform and he ends it by saying you sell the company to facebook for 90 million you spend the rest of the year traveling around asia and then you vow to only work in enterprise SaaS coming forward so i don't know what's your what's, what's your thoughts do you think <laughs> what's your thoughts do you think this thing is gonna do you think he was he's onto something here do you think that the problem that they're trying to face bearing in mind they've got 12 million users now to scale that up like because i know that you're not on it i don't go on it that much you barely go on it like what's your thoughts <laughs> but i'm but I, I barely go on social media, right? Ah. That's 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 like really important to, to caveat that with. I'm not someone that spends their like free time online. I, I pick up my Kindle, I pick up a book or I go outside and that's more and more the case as I get older and mm. older. And I guess for me, yeah, I mean, that's just really important. And I think also with the last year being the way that it's been, I have realized that my mental health is more stable the less... I'm on social media and the more I control my free time. So I, I would say that it's probably not like good to say, that, oh, I'm not even on it because I'm on these all these other things. Um, so I think that's really important. But yes, I feel you. Like I, I've been a bit umming and eyeing about this platform for a while. I did do an office hours on it though. And I will say like, there was something quite nice about having a conversation that requires a lot of vulnerability and a lot of self-reflection without that pressure of looking at someone. And I think there are certain types of events and certain types of interactions, especially as our like collective consciousness is shifting and hopefully improving and increasing. There's like certain things that really like lends itself to like audio first. And, you know, one really surprising thing about Clubhouse is actually the silent rooms. You know, people are really using this as a networking platform and you can join a room where all you do is look at other people in the room and see if there could be a relevant, see if they could be a relevant connection for you. So I think that's really interesting. One of the things that I notice on Twitter is like, we love a takedown. We Mm. love a takedown. And one of the things that we can't really shy away from is the fact that since its launch, there's been so much attention around this app, whether it's their notorious seed round that gave the founders like an immediate cash in hand injection of $2 million, subsequent follow on rounds at a time where other companies have been struggling to fundraise because it's like the pandemic. They've definitely been stoked with controversy. Then there's all about, you know, how systems of oppression have perpetuated across the platform, the silencing of women, uh, the silencing of black people, actual racist 
uh, and anti-Semitic and goodness knows what else conversations happening. You know, it's really been like stoked with controversy. And I think one of the things that I'm really mindful of is that there are a lot of people that want the platform to fail. <laughs> mm. And while I don't, while I do not disagree with his analysis, I also think we don't know. We just don't know because we don't know what we don't know. And he's speaking from a place. Also, shout out Bebo because mm-hmm. I was into Bebo back in the day, like year nine, 14. Oh man, I'd be yeah, on so Bebo the, pay. The, 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 the dude who did the thread, he basically was part of an effort to revive Bebo, just in case anyone's wondering why, why, um, why I'm talking about yeah, why Bebo. Yeah, why I took my Bebo. Yeah, so that's, that's why. But go on. Uh, I used to be so into Bebo. My sister called me Bebo. Hey, Bebo. Um, anyway, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, when I read his narrative, when I read the thread, I was like, all of those things are completely plausible and all of those things could completely make sense. But we just don't know. So I don't know. Like I personally, for me, the jury is still out. The, the yeah. ship hasn't sailed yet. I'm going to keep my eyes on the mission and see what happens. Yeah, I think, I don't think this is a prediction and more out like laying out the challenges that they will face. And if you've had trouble building and scaling a social media application that's similar to this, you will know probably what problems they're facing and that they very well might find a way to break through that those challenges. So the interestingness problem, finding something interesting because right, I don't think, right now. Gone. I, I think he's comparing them to the wrong platforms, right? So they've just launched their creator program. And I actually think that they're going to try to go down more of like a Gumroad or Patreon route. Like, yes, of course, they are a social network right now, but I don't think that is the utility I don't I don't think it's it's not just about being a place to convene it's going to move towards being a place to access exclusively live indie talent that you're obsessed with and you really really like and maybe over time you know even more mainstream stuff that's what I think they're moving towards and that's actually like a super innovative model that we don't have anywhere else right now I still think it's so difficult though you got to imagine that basically if you want to scale this to be like a proper big Facebook-esque yeah. or Instagram-esque app in terms of that scale yeah. you're going to have to have content across so many different verticals that's all happening simultaneously at the right time and it doesn't the right have person. to be like you know that like- and you're thinking about it and you're thinking about it all wrong like Clubhouse already has scheduling features so the idea and we know that they've launched right. this creator program and we know that they're looking to at all sorts of people from podcasters to wellness experts to everything to come and do exclusive community events on their platform. So I think what's really going to end up happening is, you know, there's a huge market for live events. It's continued to be around, you know, mm. in the pandemic, despite Zoom fatigue. I think what we're going to see is people paying to be a part of an intimate audience an intimate mm. live audience with people that they're obsessed with. And it might be a subscription model. It might be a pay per access. I don't know. Right. But, you know, I think we're thinking about it all wrong. Like we're we're trying to mm. compare it to TikTok. Oh, do I open TikTok and see something funny right away? Yes, I do. Oh, Clubhouse can't compete with that. But I don't think that's where they want to fit into our consumption. Right. So you're... I, yeah, I think it's very smart what you're saying. I think basically, so in, in a future world, instead of us being like, oh, we're doing a techish live show, you know, in this location, if we were so inclined, we'd be like, it's going to be on Clubhouse. So at this time, exactly. 7 p.m. turn up basically. So it's not like a, a competitor for Instagram and, and TikTok, which is like instant gratification. It's like, I'm turning up here at this time because I know it's that a venue. It's a venue basically. Okay. That's, that's actually quite a good, um, and think about that. Like venues have limited capacity as a physical space, but mm. as an audio first digital platform, you could have N to the power of whatever yeah. events running at the same time, all of them charging consumers, all you getting a cut of all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Let's very well. Let's see what happens. Interesting. Let's see. Yeah. Hashtag techish or hit us up at, at techish pod. Let us know what you think. We'd love to know is clubhouse destined for greatness or is it going to fail? Like this preferred thought it would. 
Anywho, let's talk about the wealthiest black person in U.S. history. Make some money sounds. The accolade goes to the one, the only Kanye West. Houseweight. Houseweight. Yay in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so let's chart the journey. Okay. In 2016, Mr. West claimed to be $53 million in debt. Yeah. This is when he also went on Twitter to <laughs> ask Zuck, CEO and founder of Facebook, to invest $1 billion in his work. You know what? Maybe he should have because he would have <laughs> got a 600% <laughs> return. Um, anywho, now, lo and behold, he's done it. I can't believe he's richer than Oprah. How is Kanye richer than Oprah? I can believe that. I mean, what's Oprah really got now in 2020? Don't even. Don't even. <laughs> don't even start. What do you mean worse? Oprah? The if you ask Gen- let's, let's keep it real. Ask Gen Z the about books, Oprah. And the content? Ask, ask Gen Z about Oprah. See what they say. They'll be head scratching. I love Oprah, but it's, she, she, she hasn't stayed that relevant. But wow. So it doesn't surprise me that Kanye has hit this threshold. Uh, and we missed a step. So he was... His net worth was 1.3 billion in April 2020, so a little over a year ago. He's now sixth X his net worth, and it seems to be from it's mainly yeah. all from Yeezy. So his Gap deal and his Adidas uh, existing partnership has taken him to the next level. I can't believe it. The wealthiest black man in U.S. history. That's insane. Wow. I mean, we talked about it two wow. episodes. I think you talked about Jay two episodes ago, and he sold to the title, mm-hmm. sold title to Square, and he sold Ace of Spades not that long ago as well. How did these two stack up? Mm-hmm. Kanye is actually a lot more wealthier. Who's the better business mogul? Who's the better business mogul? Who is the better mogul? Obviously, the numbers don't lie. Figures you tell don't me, lie. Who would you who would you pick as a co-founder? Yay or Jay? I tell me why. Okay, let's keep it real. The numbers don't lie. Kanye has done much more in terms of creating economic value, $6 billion. I don't think Jay's uh, anywhere near that. But in terms of who I would pick as a business partner, most likely, it depends what stage I'm at. If I have a product, so if I have like a visionary product and it's going to change the world, I would pick Jay-Z because I think Jay-Z is a much more stable person. Jay-Z is just my watch. Jay-Z would um, be able to help me negotiate deals and Jay-Z would probably have connections and friends in higher places. But if I was like, I don't have a product and I don't have a vision and I need somebody who can see outside the box Mm. I would pick Kanye because I think Kanye is. Um, mm. I, the, I mean, the, the clothes. It's a, I mean, to me, the, the black clothes. Steve Jobs. The, yeah, I mean, boy, yeah, he wishes, but the clothes and 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 the trainers to me are all trash. I think they all look horrible. But he has a, he has the sway of the people. He can get people on board of that's whatever he's selling. Taste. Basically, maybe I don't have no taste in it. If that's what taste is, I'm out. But anyway, yes. Yeah, I'm so joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think yeah. I didn't know you heard that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm listening. Kanye, just to go back to my point, for the vision, Jay for the execution. And that's my that's my perspective on who I would have um, as the business, my business partner. Who would you choose? <laughs> I really like your logic. I really like your logic on that, which makes a ton of sense. I find Kanye West to be an incredibly enigmatic figure. I mean, that's probably even like an understatement. You know, love him or hate him, you've thought about him. And he he is already such a historic figure. I know he's been plagued with controversy, but people are complex and I just so bored of like single descriptors when life is too complex. And, you know, he's been put in like, yeah, a negative bucket a lot of times. But, you know, on the whole, on balance, I think he's pretty cool. I think six months with Kanye would probably be extremely exhausting, but mm-hmm. you would learn a lot 
and you would have ideas generated that you probably never could have even thought of. Um, so yeah, I'd probably, I don't know. It's weird though, because now that you're thinking, now that I'm thinking about it, you are supposed to pick a co-founder is based on a complementary skill set. Yes. And I'm actually quite good at generating ideas. So I don't think we need two people just riffing ideas right. back and forth. <laughs> Ain't nothing going to happen. Ain't nothing going to happen. I would pay to that, go to that meeting just to watch you and kind of riff like, and see, see what you get. <laughs> um, so... So I think I want Ye as like an advisor or maybe he can be like, you know, in their early stage and then, yeah, bring Jigga in for the long haul and obviously get him to rap at our team event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Kanye, he's just a testament to self-belief anyway, though. We've been, I've been harsh on him. I would say we, I've been harsh on him on this very podcast. I've criticized him um, for a lot of that Trump aligned stuff. And then even just in general, just, you know. Mm. I just wasn't a fan of some of the moves that he was making per se. But what I will never take away from him is the fact his ability to manifest. Like he will say some wild shit, and oh, then like three years later, it's like here. Yeah, like he was got. I remember on that radio tour the, when he was going like houseway, and we were like, he's got, he's lost it. But he was right. He was like, listen, I will dominate the fashion industry if you just let me. If I just find the right partners and Gap and mm. Adidas, they took a risk, and mm-hmm. six billion dollars of value is is no joke. And maybe the sky's the limit for the dude. He can even I go know. further. He could go further as long as I think he's a bit of a. I love that interpretation. In what sense? No, I just love that interpretation of like Ye being the embodiment of someone manifesting. I, I feel like I'm going to go to his house and there's going to be like vision boards everywhere, <laughs> and like <laughs> he's like writing all of his future goals on journals and stuff like that because you're right he says stuff people laugh and then it happens maybe he'll be president though yeah maybe he says he said this was a practice run the next time he's gonna do it i wouldn't put it past him i hope he doesn't win but i wouldn't put it past him and i think where i was foolish is that he'd done it before he actually was he was a producer a rap producer and yeah he was working on the J. He did a lot of some of Jay's work on the blueprint and he wanted to be a rapper. Yep. And Jay and Dame Dash were like, bro, you're not a rapper. Nobody wants to see a guy in, in a pink polo, you know, <laughs> in a backpack. Because this, this is the time when everybody was a thug. You could not be, you had to be a gangster. You had to have mm-hmm. sold rocks. You could not have, you could not be Kanye. Do you know what I'm saying? And he said, nah, I'm going to do this. And it worked. And he became one of the biggest stars in the world. And I think from the fruits of his tree, you've got people like Drake and, and other people who are, you know, they don't fit into that yeah. kind of normative masculine persona that hip hop was so kind of dominated by. And that's all because of Kanye. So he has always broken the mold. And I think he always knew that he could beat the naysayers. So that's why this time around, he was like, I've heard this all before. Fuck it. Like, I'm going to do this. Like, they said I couldn't rap. I'm mm-hmm. a rap. I'm going to be the biggest star in the world. Now they're saying I can't do fashion. Six billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Here we come. So watch yeah. me. Watch, watch me. me. Watch me. So I think. Yeah, I, I can't even take lessons from Kanye because there's a level of where I don't want to tell people go out there and have that level of self-belief because sometimes it can be delusional. Let's keep it real. I've seen people that are delusional where they can't back it up, but he can. And if you feel like you can back it up, have that self-belief, please, by all means. Um, but look, you're delusional until you achieve it. You're delusional until you achieve it, right? Yes. No, because this is the thing. And like, let's talk about that for a minute, because at the end of the day, there was a time where we told people about our business ideas and some people were like, ah! My family members. My family. <laughs> ah, I don't know about that. Then, then when you validate it, everyone's like, I always knew. I, I always knew. I was like, no, you didn't. You because never you knew. literally told me. <laughs> yeah. And and I think about that so often, how like at the early days of Hustle like when you're just so desperate to build community and like share your content and like put things out there. I used to like add people I like worked at, you know, on LinkedIn, hadn't talked to them in a year. I was like, hey, I'm just starting something out, but you might find it useful. Yeah. People be like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. No, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Oh, do you want to come to our event? Do you want to come? 
draw a workshop? No, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. People used to say stuff to me like, oh yeah, you've worked at tech companies, but you haven't worked at big tech companies. No one's going to pay for that. No one's going to believe you. No one's going to listen to you. And it's like, look at me now. So at the end of the day, like what is delusion and what is unattainable and what is realistic? Only the future knows or the creator himself. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's not for us to say what's delusional or not. Okay, within reason. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But ultimately, it's delusional or hard to believe until you've done it. Yeah, that's real. Real talk. Hey everyone, we are proud to announce that collaboration company Notion is the sponsor of this week's Techish. Imagine the most zen tool possible for taking notes, managing docs and projects and storing all of your team's info. I promise you it's real. Notion brings together all those functions in one place where your team can customize how you work together so you get more done and actually enjoy it at the same time. It's possible everyone. <laughs> the future's here. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of teams have already seen the difference this tool makes to productivity, transparency, and engagement. People love it. But you know what else? If I wasn't silly enough to be a founder, I'd love to work on a product at the intersection of beautiful design and utility, and that's Notion to a T. And lucky for you, they're hiring a ton across engineering, product, design, marketing, customer experience, and more. You can help build the future of work for millions of people around the world. Go to www.notion.so forward slash careers and get applying. Link is in the show notes. Yeah, so on a more lighthearted story, I want to shout out. So Sahil of Gumroad, the founder of Gumroad, quite a large presence on Twitter. He's, I think, sold equity for his startup Gumroad, I think up to $5 million. I'm not sure exactly the amount. But essentially, he's taken advantage of a new rule by the SEC that allows Ooh. you to crowdfund equity. So essentially, he's raised funds from everyday investors, everyday people, sorry. They're investing like $100, some a bit more. And that's also in tandem with what Arlen's done. So we talked about Arlen time ago. Arlen has also crowdfunded investment for her. VC firm. Now, is this like a revolution in capitalism to a certain extent? Now that we've always had it so that you can invest in public market stocks, you could buy these dumb meme stocks like GameStop and whatnot. But now people are able to get into the startups and, and VC firms where they were blocked out. Like if you don't know, accredited investors were the only ones allowed to invest in startups. And to be an accredited investor, you had to have at least, I think, an income over 200,000 a year or a net worth over uh, millions of dollars a year excluding your, the value of your house. Like, is this a change in capitalism or is this a very small thing that we're hyping up? I think it is a change in capitalism. I think, first of all, I was involved with this project. I don't know if you saw the show, but it's hosted by Baratunde Thurston, Blank Canvas. Um, mm. It's available to watch now. Um, and what's really interesting is it focuses on the group of consumers called the passionates. Mm -hmm. And it's people who are so passionate about the impact of capitalism in you know society, the environment, their lives. They're so passionate about purchasing in alignment with their values that actual huge global organizations are now adapting to the needs of these consumers. Wow. So as in the the perspectives and yeah, the values, the beliefs of consumers are are shifting the way companies respond. And I think what's really interesting is that we are starting to understand in a new way what community means and what community can deliver in terms of value. I was thinking about Ryan Hoover, Product Hunt's Twitter thread earlier today, all about Sahil's you know, equity round. And he's talking about leveraging a community of people that support you, basically fans. You know, these mm -hmm. are fans that have said, yeah, we love Gumroad. We want a piece of Gumroad. We want Gumroad to keep going. And I think that is a really huge shift, you know, for, for organizations, especially folks that are kind of like underdogs, indie makers, that kind of vibe to kind of say, okay, I'm just going to turn the love that I've created <laughs> in this yeah. amazing group of people into capital. So mm -hmm. maybe, maybe capitalism's becoming more compassionate somehow and more people driven, more relationship driven 
certainly more community driven. I still think it's still tiny, right? Like the proportion of fundraising that's happening this way versus others, but it's exciting. I don't know. It's exciting. It's exciting to think that one day we could raise around through techish fans. Mm. I mean, I don't know what we do with it, but <laughs> still, like, it's yeah. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Just give us the money. We don't know what we're going to do with it, but fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. No, I think you're right. And I think. You know, back in the day, if you had a personal brand, like what was the most you could do with it? Get a book deal, maybe get a TV show. I mean, like Tim Ferriss was the kind of pioneer and kind of Gary Vee as well. And like the most they did with it was kind of get a book deal, right? But now you can start a VC firm. You can raise millions of dollars from your um, Twitter following. Like, you know, sales done for a startup. You could do an NFT. You could do, you could do anything now, really. Like, and you can, instead of the spectrum of outcomes, which might have been a book deal, which might have made you maybe millions of dollars if you're one of the lucky authors that has a great book. But now it could be billions of dollars. Like there are people that have started rolling funds where they're now VCs as an individual. They're, they're able to accumulate millions of dollars based off their Twitter followers. So I think the value of a personal brand has never been more valuable, basically. Like, I mean, it's not a surprise that Arlen's done it and Sahil's done it and they've got great brands within the kind of, t- mm-hmm. you know, tech space, the Twitter tech space. So keep working on your personal brand, people. You know what I mean? And think bigger. Don't just think, oh, I can get an endorsement. I can be an influencer. Who's going to be next? Who's next? So it's review time and Abadesi is going to love this review. I don't love this review, but it's five stars, so I'm going to take it. It starts off by saying, <laughs> if, it, if it's not covered on Techish, did it even happen? Five stars. I recommend this podcast twice a week at least. Damn. Ab- Abadesi, brackets, clearly the funny one. And Michael, brackets, sorry, mate, I couldn't help it. Lord have mercy. I'm going to stop reading this review. This, this review is a lie. <laughs> Lies on lies on lies, my dear. Oh my days! <laughs> I'm oh my days! Who <laughs> you know is this person? Uh, listen, it's gonna be I need to send them gifts. <laughs> I think you already did. That's why they're saying this. <laughs> you bribed them. So, um, Abedezi and Michael. That's, speak- that's authentic. That's authentic. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get to the end of this. Abedezi and Michael speak truth with power, integrity, fearlessness, and of course, jokes. I get inspired every time I listen. And despite what is often the dire reality at hand, filled with hope for a better tech industry and planet, it's also the best strategic and critical tech industry analysis I've come across. Wow. You lot make me smarter. Seriously, you two, thank you for this work. And that's John Amar from based in Germany. Shout out to Germany, man. My people are in Germany. I ain't been there for years, but we appreciate you All in right. Europe. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Sprechen Sie Deutsch. Yo, everyone, thank you for listening. That's been this week's Techish. Hit us up at, at Techish Pod on at Instagram Pod. and Twitter. We broke a thousand followers on Instagram. Thank you for following. Come join us more. Um, follow us, follow us, follow us, please. And not in a stalkerish way, just follow us in a nice way. And <laughs> um, yeah, and subscribe to our Patreon, extra ish. We've got some extra content exclusives, and we're going to do some more stuff on there. So if you want more Techish in your earpiece, you know where to go. You can sub for as little as $5. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, y'all know we love a review. We love a review. Love a good old review. Reviews make our hearts warm and <laughs> happy. So please give us a review. All right, cool. Peace. <laughs>